Welcome to Lasting Truth, a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel, Sweet Hills in Banning, California, where Pastor Ryan Hussein teaches the entire Word of God, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, giving our listeners the opportunity of receiving the full counsel of God. Today we are studying in the book of 2 Kings, chapter 23. Here's Pastor Ryan. Father, we thank you for your mercy, for your love, for your grace. We thank you, Lord, that, Lord, you're on the throne, Lord, that you're the one true God, that, Lord, no power is greater than you. And, Lord, our lives are in your hands, and we're grateful for that. Lord, that we're safely in your hands. We ask that you would bless our time tonight, Father, as we've gathered in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, bless the word. Holy Spirit, minister to us. Give us humble hearts, Lord. Bind the enemy. Bind his lies. And I know, Lord, that some may be tired. Lord, I just pray that you would give us all strength and pour out your grace tonight. May it be all of you and none of me. In Jesus' name we pray and together we say, Amen. Is there anything in your life that is worth keeping that can hinder or hurt your relationship with Jesus Christ? Is there anything in your life worth keeping? Is there anything? It's a good question to ask ourselves. And it's a question that I think all of us must come to terms with and answer. Is there anything in our lives that takes preeminence over Jesus Christ? Is there someone's voice that takes preeminence over the voice of God in our life? Or does God still have priority? Does he have kingship and supremacy in how we are guided, how we think, how we live? Is his voice the one that we give more attention. He has to be preeminent. And the Lord asked the question, like, what would a man give in exchange for his soul? Very little. Very little will a person give. There's so many people out there that will not give up these little idols, these little things in their life to come to Jesus Christ. Sadly, to them, it's the biggest thing. What means so much to us that we won't let go for the excellence of Jesus Christ? Is it a person is it a relationship that, isn't, that, that is one you shouldn't be in? Could it be materialism? Could it be your career? Your self-image? Could it be a hobby? Is there anything that takes away from the preeminence of, of God in your life? And if there is, God help us to get rid of it. God help us to do away with it. And I think that, you know, when you look at the human condition, the Bible says that for a, for a piece of bread, a man will transgress. Doesn't take much to, to exchange his soul. Doesn't take much. Just a crust of bread. So we have to be really careful. Lord, let there not be any other loves in our life that compete with your voice. Be the center of my heart. Be king of my heart. It takes dedication. We see Josiah. Is he dedicated to cleaning up things? Absolutely. He's not going about it flippantly, man. This guy planned. This guy planned. And he starts 
giving directives, led by the Lord, clean this, get this out, get this out, get this out. And that's how we have to deal with the things in our life that are hindering, the things in our life that are, that are hurting our relationship with the Lord. We don't need it. All things are lawful, are lawful, but they're not all helpful for our walk with the Lord. God needs to take preeminence. If not, it's just an idol. And God sees it like an idol. We might see it just as a person, a place, or a thing. And the biggest idol that we have to be careful of is the idol of self-worship. The idol of doing our own will rather than saying, every morning, Lord, thy will be done in my life. Whatever your will is, I'm open to it. You're, you get first dibs on me. And so we begin in verse 10. We continue. Here he is just cleaning house thoroughly. And uh, verse 10, it says, And he defiled Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, that no man might make his son or his daughter pass through the fire of Molech. And so he defiled this place, Topheth, which was a place where the Judeans would worship the false god of Molech, which was the god of Ammon. And I know I mentioned this last week, but I think it's worth mentioning again since we ended right in the middle. But this was the, the area, this was the valley that they would take their sons and daughters and make them pass through the fire. And that's the word that stuck out this time around was that they made them. And isn't that what abortion does? It's an act of, of a parent making their baby die making them die and i don't say that with any condemnation god has forgiven me of my sins the blood of jesus on the cross cleanses that forgives that but i'm saying it because we see that it was in scripture from long ago that this was abominable to the lord josiah had that whole area wiped out defiled it so that it couldn't be done there anymore. In Proverbs chapter 6, there's that famous verse in verse 17 that, that God hates the shedding of innocent blood. You ask the question, does God hate? Yes, he hates evil. And he hates the shedding of innocent blood. To him, it's abominable. And he called it that. He just it, It's sickening to him. The idea of parents forcing their kids to pass through the fires of Moloch as, as human sacrifices because it would benefit the parents financially. And today, that's, that's the reason that you hear many women, many men can't afford the baby. And if they make their baby go through this, they'll be in a better financial place. If they made their children pass through the fires of Moloch, they believed that their harvest would be plentiful. Not much has changed. When they say to me, don't talk politics, I have to, because there's one political party in our country, the Democrats, who are pro-abortion all the way, and who are forcing its citizens of this country to, for our taxes to be used for Planned Parenthood. So this is why so many Christians cannot vote for Democrats, because God hates the shedding of innocent blood. There are pastors who won't say that because they think they're going to split their congregations. Well, I was a Democrat before I came to know the Lord. I came to know the Lord and his word showed me that things like that were an abomination so I could no longer vote the way I used to vote. So I, I want to say it. I believe that, that Democrats uh, get saved too. I wouldn't be here. But I'm glad the kids are in here. 
so that they can know there's two, there's two parties in this country and that's one of the reasons why there's such a fuss over the one because of abortion. Then he removed the horses and the kings of, of Judah who had dedicated, to the, dedicated them to the sun at the entrance to the house of the Lord by the chamber of Nathan Melech, the officer who was in the court and he burned the chariots of the sun with fire. And so here, the chariots, the horses were removed and the chariots were burned. And, you know, horses in chariots in ancient Israel, in the ancient world, it symbolized power. It symbolized the strength of one's army. And the nations desired more and more horsepower, more and more chariots, because the, the greater the number of chariots and horses, the greater their nation. That's just the way they all thought. So you see the dedication of these items by the previous wicked kings. It shows where their trust was. Their trust was in the horses. Their trust was in the number of chariots. They wanted to be like the world. They thought that if they had a, a powerful army, no one can stop them. And their trust was in their own hand and in their own will. It was no longer in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so it's a beautiful reminder that our trust needs to be in the Lord, not in the power of our, of our strength physically, not in the, in the possessions we might own, not in the amount of money we may have in our savings account, not in who's president of our country, not in how big or how weak our army is. It is the Lord that sustains us. It's the Lord that we trust in, but not the world. The world does not trust in such things. They think that it's folly. They think it's a fairy tale. They think we're, we've lost it, that we're weak-minded, but they're wrong. They're the ones that are weak-minded. They're the ones that are deceived by the enemy. I'm confident in my trust in the Lord that, it, that our strength comes from him, our hope is in him, that he is real. Look at the changed lives that are here tonight. Look at how many people God has touched throughout the world, throughout the centuries. In Psalm 20, verse 7, it says, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stand upright. I mean, isn't that like Josiah's like thing right there and then? Like these have fallen. Where are these wicked kings? We're removing these horses. We're removing these chariots dedicated to these false god. Our hope is in the Lord. They're going down. They're being burned but we're rising up. And that's what happens when we get rid of idols in our life. That's what happens when we get rid of sin that, that so easily is a weight in our lives. Anything that hinders our, our closeness to Jesus Christ, when we let go of those things, when we get rid of those things, my goodness, we rise up. And you see those who don't, those who are always dabbling, those who don't want to get rid of their, of their worldliness, their carnality, and they're the ones that are, that are not rising up. They're not living a resurrected life. They're down. They've fallen. We trust in the Lord. He told the kings in Deuteronomy 17, when a king arises from your brethren, speaking to Israel, when a king is, is risen out for you guys, to lead you guys, he's not to multiply horses. He's not to multiply silver and gold. Why? Because his trust might be in those things. So the reminder is trust in the Lord with all your heart, no matter how much is in the bank account, no matter what you're going through financially, trust in the Lord. He's able to make it rain upon your life. 
the altars, verse 12, that were on the roof, the upper chamber of Ahaz. Ahaz, King Ahaz, the, he built an upper room up there in the temple, which the kings of Judah had made, and the altars which Manasseh had made in the two courts of the house of the Lord. The king broke down and pulverized there, and threw their dust into the brook Kidron. Then the king defiled the high places that were east of Jerusalem, which were on the south of the Mount of Corruption, which Solomon, king of Israel, had built for Ashereth, the abomination of the Sidonians, for Chemosh, the abomination of the Moabites, and for Milcom, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And he broke in pieces the sacred pillars and cut down the wooden images and filled their places with their bones. I mean, how much more thorough is King Josiah going to be here? So in the temple, these upper rooms, they had altars that were there that he removed as well that the previous kings had built. But then he also begins to look around Jerusalem. He just cleaned Jerusalem up and within the temple and then without. Again, Josiah is like fully on cleaning things up, not playing games, not messing around. He is going from the temple and cleaning that up, and he's going now to the surrounding mountains. The Mount of Corruption on the south side of the mount is speaking of the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives on the south side of the Mount of Olives had become a spot where pagan worship took place in bulk. It was just turned into a very wicked location. Can you imagine that? The Mount of Olives. And it was because of King Solomon. And this is why the kingdom split, because King Solomon had sinned. We talked about not multiplying horses. The kings were also warned not to multiply wives, lest they turn their heart away from the Lord. And that's what happened. These pagan wives got Solomon to compromise, and he actually built these uh, pagan altars up on the Mount of Olives. So they were still there after all this time, since Solomon's time. But he went there and he defiled them. And he took men's bones and buried them there. He made a, a cemetery out of that area. And even today you can see uh, the cemetery of the Jewish people there on part of the Mount of Olives onto the Kidron Valley and that whole area. Bones defile a location according to the law. So that's how thorough he was. He, I mean, to the extent where we're getting rid of this stuff, but then we're going to place some dead man's bones there so that it never comes back again, so that no one can come to this location and do this abominable thing. Isn't that crazy? How thorough he was? How aware he was of his surroundings. He's not just dealing with Jerusalem. He's not just dealing with his palace there. He's now going out around the hills around him, the mountains around him. And it just, the Lord spoke to my heart about being more wise with our surroundings today. More wise concerning those who are on the outside, which the Bible tells us to be wise, especially with those who are on the outside. Outside of what? Outside of our faith. Those who are not regenerated, those who are not born again, walking in obedience to the word of God. I didn't just say born again. I said born again and walking in obedience to the word of God. That's two different things. 
You can be born again and be all over the map when it comes to obedience. I'm talking about walking circumspectfully. Which Paul says, Ephesians 5, verse 15 through 16, See then that you walk circumspectfully, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. King Josiah wasn't pretending not to see the Mount of Olives. It's right there. You can see it from the temple. And so many Christians today are like pretending to not see what they see, what they know to be true biblically, what they've been taught. Out there, they're in need of a savior. In here, we're saved. We need to abide in Christ and, and go with the message to those who are on the outside. Rather than they dictate to us how we should live, rather than them to dictate to us what our philosophy should be. We have to walk circumspectfully. We have to know, I am dealing with an unregenerated person. Or I'm dealing with a regenerated person. I was at the city council meeting Tuesday. And uh, I got to hang out with you know, one of the police officers, a great man of God. We just sat there and talked about the Lord, talked about banning, talked about... We can have that because he's regenerated. He's born again. He's, he's, he's in the kingdom. So I asked him, how's banning? He goes, well, you know, we're living in the end times. It's like, all right. What he says means a lot more to me after that comment. And there's plenty of other guys in professions, maybe police, in every profession that are born again, who know what time it is, which the Lord said, know what time it is. Know what days you're living in. This isn't the day to pretend there's not idols up on Mount, the Mount of Olives. Get rid of those. And that's what he did. He's getting rid of it. He's, he's a, a, aware of his surroundings. We need to be aware of what's not good that's in our life. That needs to go. Not pretend that we don't see it. In Proverbs 22, verse 3, it says, A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. Don't pretend that that temptation isn't over there, or that thing, that idol, that whatever needs to be removed isn't over. Go the other way. Flee youthful lust. Flee it. 15, moreover, the altar that was in Bethel, the high, and the high place, which Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin, had made, both that altar and the high place, he broke down. And he burned the high place and crushed it to powder and burned the wooden image. And as Josiah turned, he saw something. He saw the tombs that were there on the mountain. And he sent and took the bones out of the tombs and burned them on the altar and defiled it according to the word of the Lord which the man of God proclaimed who proclaimed these words then he said what gravestone is this I see so here's a real trippy thing that takes place first of all he leaves Jerusalem and he goes to Bethel he goes to where the northern kingdom was he goes to Samaria to clean up there as well this guy was so on fire for the Lord. Logistically, what does it take for a king from Judah to go all the way up there? How much did it cost? How many troops? How many horses? How much food? It didn't matter to Josiah because it needed to be dealt with. They needed to get rid of it because it's the land of Israel and they want it gone. They would have no pagan altars there. They're, he's now traveling 
You know what I mean? And there should be no expense personally, spiritually, physically. There should be no expense that should get in the way from us living a pure and holy life before God. There should be no expense that we, we're going to spare to get rid of something that is hindering our closeness to the Lord. And a lot of people will not give up because they, and follow Christ because they think it'll be too much of a financial detriment to them. But if I leave him, you know, he houses under his name or whatever, you know. Yeah, but you're in sin. It's a blessing to see people sacrifice, even financially, to get right with the Lord. And I have met more than a few people come through Sweet Hills that have given up everything to follow Christ. Like Peter and the disciples said to him, See, Lord, we've given up our families, our lands. We've given these things up for you. And the Lord said to him, Yes, you have. And I assure you that you're going to receive those things back, both in this life and in the next. He who loses his life for Jesus Christ will save it. But he who desires to save his life will lose it. He traveled all the way up to Bethel. And it was a trippy thing because it was prophesied way back during Jeroboam's time, the king of Israel, wicked king, Jeroboam. In 1 Kings chapter 12, Jeroboam, he was afraid that the Jews in the northern kingdom would, when it was time for the Passover feast, would go down south to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. So he decides to make two golden calves. One he placed in the area called Dan, and the other he placed in Bethel. And he told the children of Israel in the northern kingdom, Behold, these are the gods that brought you out of Egypt. In other words, it was like to be in conflict with the Passover, the real one down there. He just made them golden calves like they never read Exodus before. And in 1 Kings chapter 13, a man of God, a prophet, comes up from Judah to Bethel. And he cries out before Jeroboam. As Jeroboam was there, he was about to light some incense to these false gods. And uh, this prophet cried out and said, O altar, O altar, thus says the Lord, Behold, a child, Josiah by name, shall be born to the house of David, and on you he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you. So think about that. It was prophesied years before Josiah wasn't even born. His name wasn't even known or given. He wasn't born yet. But this man of God who went up from Judah told Jeroboam, there's going to be a child that's born named Josiah out of the house of David. He's going to come one day and he is going to burn this altar. And if we read it again, knowing that, being reminded of that, it's super cool. It says that as Josiah, in verse 16, he turned, he saw the tombs. First, he burned the altar and crushed it to powder and burned the wooden image. And then, for some reason, Josiah just happened to turn. How crazy is this? For God to, to fulfill prophecy. Josiah's there, they're burning up the altar, they're crushing it down to powder. As he's standing there, he just kind of does this. He goes, what are those? Those are tombs, tombs of the priests that worshipped here. So he, he fulfilled prophecy by, by saying, bring those bones down here and defile them and crush them. And, and that's what he said. 
to fulfill the word of God. He sent and he took the bones out of the tombs and burned them on the altar and defiled it according to the word of the Lord, which the man of God proclaimed, who proclaimed these words. Then he said, what gravestone is this that I see? So before we move on, that's another just reminder how amazingly on point and true God's word is, that he fulfills his every word and promise. There is nothing that God has not said that was going to take place that has not taken place that has taken place there are still some future events that have not taken place obviously but there are so many prophecies that have taken place this is why we believe what we believe part of the reason this word and all of its prophecies fulfilled the lord called it that this king would be born and he would do this and he did it what has god promised that hasn't been fulfilled the Bible promises that there's going to be a generation that will not see death. Thank you for joining us today at Lasting Truth Radio. If you're in the area, come out and join us for Sunday services at 10 a.m. or Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. We are located at 3035 West Nicolette Street in Banning. You can also find us on YouTube or Instagram. If you would like to donate to our program, please do so on our website at ccsweethills.org and just hit the online giving tab. We hope you will continue to tune in as we journey through the entire Word of God with the teaching of Pastor Ryan Hussein at Calvary Chapel, Sweet Hills. Cherubim, above.